Welcome to Improv for the Podcast. On this week's episode, we'll hear from Sid, who will tell us about his improvisational journey. We'll play a couple games and most importantly, learn how he improved his life. Let's hit it. Welcome to Improv for the Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Lee Evans, and today I am joined by the incredibly talented coach, improviser, and all-around excellent human being, Sid. Sid, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing tonight? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thank you so much for being here. What an introduction. I'm not sure if talented really fits me, but yeah. It does. It does. It does. (laughs) Sid is just being modest, but a very talented, hilarious individual. All right. Well, Sid, as you know, uh, uh, I want to talk about, before we kind of jump into everything, I want to ask you about when... Uh, kind of what's your relationship with IFTP? When did you first get started? Just to give a quick introduction to our audience. Um, I started looking for um, kind of almost from a therapy standpoint, something that I needed to overcome some business challenges. So to take a step back, I'm a serial entrepreneur. I, I used to own many small businesses at the height of it. I had seven small businesses and I was getting ready to open up my another small business. And I ran into a challenge during cold calling and I was developing this CEO coaching practice. Mm-hmm. And as part of that, you have to develop your group and it was going to be part of the largest CEO coaching organization in the world. And I had taken my training and gotten certified, and um, I was part of this organization for many, many years, and they had suggested that when I am looking to do something else, you know, I should consider becoming one of their certified coaches. Mm -hmm. And part of that required me to do cold calling to uh, reach out to CEOs in the area and ask them if they would be interested in coaching and joining my group. And I would uh, get down to like the last number and I couldn't dial it or I would dial it. And when somebody would pick it up, I would hang up. And mm. I was like, oh, my God, I've never had something like this happen to me. So I started doing some research. Um, and then I ran into somebody. I said, you know, you should try improv. Mm. So I researched different improv organizations in the area, and I live about an hour south of here. And um, there there wasn't any classes. The Mm. closest one was in Culver City, and that was IFTP. That was uh, back in 2017 when Mm. Matt was uh, in Culver City off of Washington. Mm. So I took Matt's introductory class, and... um, I hated every single second of it, (laughs) you know, um, because it goes so against my grain, Mm. right? So, but because I hated every single second of it, I knew it was something I needed to do. Yeah, the challenge of it. To stretch. Mm. Mm. So um, I signed up the next week, and luckily I was paired with Ava, Ah. who is my favorite. Of all the teachers, all the mm-hmm. teachers are great. Shout out Ava. <laughs> but uh, Ava Ava's, uh, was great for me. And uh, she consistently makes me stretch. I'm in Matt's mm. class now. Mm. Um, 
and then Ava had went to New York, New York, right, and yes. then came back, and then um, is back with IFTP. There you go. All right. Well, thank you for that quick introduction, Sid. We're going to dive into that a little bit more because I have a lot of questions for you in just a little bit. But before we do, we're going to play a round of three things. So, Sid, uh, have you played three things before? I have. I have. And of course, as you know, you're on. Uh, I'm already sweating. Good, good, good. I am too. Don't worry. That's just the lights. Uh, and on Improv for the Podcast, when we play three things, it's always personal. So it's always going to be something related to your life, Sid. So don't worry. As long as you know you, we'll be all set. Uh, you have any questions before we begin? No, I think I'm ready. All right, here we go. I'll just pull up our categories. And here we go. These are three things. Types of bread. Wheat, mm. one uh, Hawaiian bread, two and sourdough. Three. These are three things. Nice choices. Second category: Los Angeles Dodgers players. Oh my gosh, um, Fernando Valenzuela, one. Um, Freddie Freeman, um, two. Justin Taylor, three. These are three things. Oh, or, Justin Turner. Sorry. Justin Turner. Ah, there you go. You had me fooled. Uh, these are three things. Last category. Uh, challenges about being a coach. It's a tough one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> being a coach is a lot of fun. Um, I guess the biggest challenge is to figure out what the, the individual player or if it's a business person that I'm coaching but what is the individual uh, challenge that that player or that person is having yeah. at any given point in time? So it's um, one, you know, a lot of listening and a lot of really trying to understand, um, and then and then trying to figure out, um, you know, what is the best solution for them. So. Are we still playing these are the three things? I, I will take that answer as three things because that was such a rich answer, Sid, that that was worth, worth at least three things. Oh, wow. <laughs> but I uh, just, uh, I know you have experience as a coach in many roles, both as like uh, a coach, like you said, coaching CEOs, uh, coaching small businesses, coaching basketball teams. Right. So you have coached in many different capacities. So I think there's a lot of, a lot of interesting things there that we might dig into a little bit. <laughs> All right, so I want to jump back to that first category. I, for, for our first one, I always love doing something just silly and random. Uh, I really like your bread choices, Sid. Wheat, Hawaiian, sourdough, that's a great lineup. Uh, uh, you're making me a little bit hungry. <laughs> now, for that Hawaiian bread, are you talking about those, those King's Hawaiian rolls like oh, at yeah. the grocery store? Oh, yeah. man. Oh, that stuff's good. Okay. Yeah. All right. So I know the CEO, Mark Tyra. Wow. And when I was in the CEO organization that yeah. I was um, part of, um, he was part of that group. Mm. So I got to see uh, him grow the uh, King's Hawaiian bread from a small, not wow. a small company, but a smaller company sure. to the, you know, half a billion dollar company yeah. he is today. I mean, a what they are guy now. And, yeah. I'm, I'm glad to hear he's a good guy. That, that makes me happy about the bread. Because <laughs> I'm like, all right, good guy and good bread. Right. You can't ask for much more than that. Right. Well, good to know. Good to know. All right. That second category, I'm a, I, I know we've talked about this in the past, but uh, I am a, a loose San Diego Padres fan. So oh. I, uh, I don't know too many. Congratulations. Uh, well, kind of, but did it really matter? <laughs> well, I think it did for them. That's I true. Mean, for San Diego. Beat the Dodgers. Yeah. It was like. 
beat the boogeyman. Monkey on their back. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, they hadn't had a what a a playoff game in San Diego with fans since 2006. So that was exciting. But I know Freddie Freeman. I recognize that name, and then Justin Turner. Oh, I know. I know those two names. (laughs) So I think more recent Dodgers players, right, within the past at least four or five years, decade or so. Well, they're on the team now. Oh, see, that's my baseball knowledge. (laughs) Although Justin Turner might not be on the team. Ah, okay. Okay. Cap casualty? Uh, Not so much. Um, Yeah, I think they're going to offer him a contract, Mm. but they didn't uh, extend him. Mm. So he's a free agent now. Yeah, so he might go somewhere else. Right. Yeah, where he feels maybe wanted or... Right. Yeah, as athletes do. Right. All right. All right. Good to know. Good to know. Fernando Valenzuela, you didn't know that name? No. So he's a um, longtime pitcher. Ah. And uh, his claim to fame is when he was 20, he came up from um, the Mexico Leagues. Mm. And he was such a phenomenon um, that they said that the amount of money that they sold in one game uh, on peanut sales, paid for his salary that year. Wow. Wow. <laughs> just because he just would pack the stadium. Oh, my gosh, because everyone wanted to see him. Exactly. Wow. And now he's um, doing the uh, Mexican language uh, broadcast. Oh, that's project. amazing. So he's still involved with the organization. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. I love when, like, former players can, like, come back and still have a role within the team. Like. Mm-hmm. The, it's always because then as a fan, you're like, hey, I know you're not playing, but I still get to hear you or hear from you. And it's always really special. So, yeah, I didn't know that. Fernando Valenzuela. All right. There you go. Thank you, Sid. All right. So that last category, uh, being a coach, we talked about kind of some of the different roles you've had as a coach. Um, I want to ask you a basketball related coaching question. Okay. Uh, what do you think is the best color of Gatorade to have on the sidelines for your players? <laughs> You know, a lot of the gyms don't allow um, a Gatorade. Really? Yeah, just water. Uh. Uh, most of the kids I coach uh, are younger kids from either first grade, you know, through high school. Mm-hmm. So they're playing at the high school gyms, and a lot of the high school gyms don't allow Gatorade. Wow. Yeah, I but I like the green one myself. Yeah, that's green's a great color for Gatorade. Yeah. Okay, I'm I'm with you there, but. I, that kind of bums me out. I feel bad for those kids. But I guess maybe just because it's sticky or can be right. messy or right. they don't want. And I think kids have tendency to spill. Oh, yeah. Someone's going to spill a cup during the game. And then it's just it's on the sidelines. It gets right. on kids shoes. It gets on the court. And it's just, yeah, it's not like football. It's outside dumping in the grass. Right. Oh, man. OK, I, I guess I can understand. <laughs> maybe if they had sippy cups for everyone. But even then. <laughs> I don't think that would work. (laughs) Well, thank you for your coach's perspective on that. All right, Sid. So uh, I want to get back to uh, talking about your improvisational journey, Um, because I think already that brief teaser you gave us moments ago, kind of your start of uh, working on becoming a coach for CEOs, which is what a type of person to be a coach for, right? CEOs. And just that, that experience you had starting out where you had to cold call people on the phone. I've I've had to do a little bit of that for work and I'm, I'm with you. I, uh, I, I don't love it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that uh, it can be tough. Just like, you know, you're dialing that phone number and be like, Oh man, I gotta, I gotta talk to this person. I gotta pitch them on something. You know, I gotta get them interested in me and what I have. Right. That is not an easy thing to do. So you, you found IFTP all the way in Culper city back in 2017. Right. 
And you said that first class, you hated it because, and you knew that if you hated it, it was probably the right place to be. Right. And um, why do you think, or what, I don't want to phrase this, like what, what pushed you to keep going? Was it just that like, I hate this, I have to keep doing it, it's going to help? Because that, not every person will do that, you know? Some people will walk away. Yeah. Um, like I said, I, I, through my life, you know, and I'm very, very left brain, very mm. anal person, being a CEO and, you know, everything has to be buttoned down. Um, so encountering a challenge and trying to figure out how to overcome this challenge, I knew that I had to come up with a different approach than I would normally, because mm. I would normally just fight through things. Mm. I would normally uh, take a class at it and become an expert in it, even though it's something like sales, for example. Mm. So I don't like sales, but I'm a really good salesman just mm. because I've taught myself how to become a good salesman. Yeah. Same thing with public speaking, right? Mm. I, I'm a good public speaker, but I don't like it. I don't enjoy it, but I, I do it, mm. and I do it well. So um, cold calling and some of these, uh, I, I just couldn't figure out how to fight through it. Hmm. And um, so improv to me or taking that first introduction class, it was just something that it was almost retraining my brain hmm. um, and leveraging the right side of my brain, the mm. creative side of my, of my brain, which um, was all new to me. Mm. And um, that's, that's why even in cl the classes that we've had together, because yes. you were in Wednesday yes. for a while, yes. and we miss you a lot. I so know. you I, and Tyler. But anyways. Oh, I miss it too. Um, you know, I, I get out of the class and I say, boy, you really sucked in that. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, yeah, and that's still my continuing journey mm. of stretching and pushing myself and learning how to accept mistakes. Because before, mistakes weren't allowed. Mm. Growing up, mistakes were not allowed. Mistakes mm. were bad. And improv teaches you that mistakes are gifts. Right. You know, so um, I'm still learning that even even though I know the basic tenet, uh, that's one of the basic tenets of improv, yeah. that mistakes are good, mistakes are a gift, and you leverage mistakes, right? Mm. Um, so actually, um, long way around to your, your quick question is, um, you know, I'm still learning every day, and I think I'm a much better CEO today hmm. than I've ever been. Hmm. Yeah. I think it's a really interesting point you brought up. I think so many people, right, are brought up with that mindset of like, yeah, mistakes are bad. Like you make right. a mistake, that's going to be a problem, you know? And I know, I know I've had that mindset as well. Like personally, I remember growing up, oh man, in school in particular, it's just one of those things like I can't make mistakes. I was such a shy, quiet kid because I didn't want to exactly. be in a situation where I could make a mistake or get in trouble, you know, stay away from all of that. Right. I think I would agree that improv is something where it's a total opposite, Right. Mess up, we celebrate it, we continue. It's going to happen again. Yeah. And that's, 
yeah, I think for so many people that's against their nature, their upbringing, you know, it's against what we know. So I think that's a really good point. So in those first, let's say, few months of classes, you were taking classes with Ava. How how was that for you? Just coming in every week and they'd have a, you know, you'd get up in a circle, we'd do some warm-ups, you're playing some games. Was that was that a big stretch or did it did you feel it got easier over time? Well, it gets easier over time. Sure. But not to the point where even today that mm. I actually enjoy it. Mm. You know, so I continue to struggle with it. Um, but I know it's really, really good for me. Yeah. You know, so the first couple of months, it was just, you know, it was kind of like the WTF moment. Like, <laughs> oh my God, what, you know, yeah. and, and it's, you know, and I still run into that. So, mm. uh, yeah. yeah. And I think especially like for anyone who's coming into improv in like those first few classes that you take, it is like that. Like you said, those WTF moments. Cause you're like, what am I doing? What are we doing? What's happening up there? Why am I here? Yeah. Why, you know, why am I torturing myself to be here? Yeah. You know? and, and it's, I know exactly why now, mm. you know, but th- those first couple of months, it was really hard. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Cause you're like every week you're like, wait, I'm, gonna go up there and I'm gonna just make stuff up <laughs> like, right. and I, I'm choosing to do this like that's it seems like a crazy thing when you think about it like that yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. it really does and and for my personality type you know introverted and uh, I'm, I'm kind of a pessimist you mm-hmm. know um, yeah it's really hard you know and then you know I had that really strong voice that I have to kind of you know tamper down right so now um, developing that creative side, then at least I have an equal vo- voice in my yeah. head, right? Balance. You know, but before improv, it was really one-sided, you know, and mm. it was like mistakes are bad. And I've always been my own worst enemy, mm. right? So, so now there's a balance, you know, I can't, it's part of my DNA to be so hard driving on myself. Mm. Um, so I can't eliminate that voice. But now I have the other voice that, you know, talks about joy mm. and, and laughter mm. and creating community mm. and the ensembles that I've created, mm. you know. So it's like, so I'm much more balanced. That's why I'm, I think I'm much more effective as a CEO today than mm. I've ever been. Yeah. Just coming with the, with the balance between both sides of your brain, right? You like the left side and the right side. And you've learned that during your time here and just applying that in your work as well, it sounds like. Yeah, and at work, and when I make a mistake, I laugh at myself now. Mm. You know, I don't do it openly in front of, <laughs> of my course, yeah, that, bosses, right? That but, could, yeah. but, <laughs> but I do laugh at myself, whereas before I would just carry that on with me for mm. maybe a day or two, yeah. and I would relive the experience. <sighs> that's, that's all gone now mm. because of uh, improv or, or I think the bigger thing than improv is IFTP. Hmm. Yeah. It's given you and like, I think like you said, if you're carrying that with you day after day, you know, eventually we're all going to make mistakes at some point, right? right? In our work, it happens. That Yeah. That would, that would wear you down just every day. And you're like, ah, I can't believe I did that. And it's only going to cause you to make more mistakes. I think if you're not able to laugh it off, you know, reflect on it and keep moving. 
I think the biggest thing for people that are really hard on themselves is it's not so much that they make more mistakes, but they stop taking risks where they should be taking risks. Mm. So they start uh, creating more of a closed mindset rather than an open mindset because they're so afraid of making mistakes. Mm. And I've always been one that always pushed myself. Um, so that now um, I'm no longer afraid to make mistakes. Mm. And then I recover. If I do make a mistake, I recover really quickly. And even better yet, I can laugh at myself. Mm. So I, I'm able to take more risks now. And I would think as a CEO, that's something I imagine is really important, being willing to take risks. Because if you're in charge of or, you know, guiding a company, right, it's important that sometimes you do need to take risks to see if they pay off. And they might not always, but you just have to have that ability. You can't play it safe all the time and uh, avoid any scenarios, <laughs> you know, where things are going to be on the line. You have to take risks for growth or for progress. Right. And even me as a coach, right? Even if it's I'm trying to show people how to develop their own leadership skills, if they're afraid to make mistakes, mm. you know, um, then they're not going to take as many risks or not mm. going to grow as fast or, or as far as they can. So, um, yeah, I think that's more important than anything else. Yeah. Um, lead, leading by example. Mm. Mm. I wish I knew this when I was your age. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's why I got you in here, Sid. <laughs> so I could learn it at my age. <laughs> uh, okay. So um, jumping back to when you were taking classes with Ava, what um, you were still dealing with those cold calls, I imagine. So was there a moment when there was a shift for you, when those cold calls started to get easier, or you had maybe a strategy that you were able to develop uh, just based off your time in classes here and how you applied that to your work, making those cold calls? Uh, I don't think I ever became good at it, mm. making cold calls. Um, it's, it's still something that I struggle with. Um, but... Um, you know, I, I can do it now. Mm. And then um, as I adopt any skill, then I can incrementally get better every single time. I think the biggest change from that perspective is I learned through that process that, you know, I don't really want to be a CEO coach. Yeah. Mm. You know, even though a lot of people had suggested, and, and my old coach had made the suggestion, you know, when, when you're ready you should move into that role mm. just because you're, I think, be really, really good at it. <clears throat> when I got into the role, um, it just wasn't that fun. Mm. You know, and I was a, at a point now that I decided, you know, I want to really focus my time and energy on things that I really love. Mm. And, uh, yeah, so I, I actually stopped charging $600 an hour to coach people or coach CEOs. And so the only time I'm coaching CEOs now uh, are people that I'm doing it for free mm. or for a very low dollar amount or for companies that I'm thinking about starting. Mm. And I don't really want to um, uh, maintain the company going forward. Mm. So the last couple of companies I've developed, I, I talked to the person that I think would be good to carry it on. 
And then we developed the company together, and I brought all of my skill set. And then as soon as we got the company up and going, then I just turned it over to them and and step back. So. That's amazing. Yeah. So you still found a way. You're like, hey, this maybe isn't for me, but you found a way to make it. You know, you can put it in areas where you have a personal investment as well, like you said. Right. Companies, there's someone you want to take over. You're like, I want you to do well. I want you to succeed. Here are the tools that I know to make that happen. Right. So then you can still sit back. <laughs> right. But hopefully watch them flourish in that position. Right. Which I think and, is and really that, cool. Yeah, I really enjoy that. It's huh. amazing. Wow. Okay. So at IFTP, uh, you said you started in 2017. Mm-hmm. And May 9th. May 9th. Wow. I love that. 6 I love p.m. No, 6 I, p.m. Wow. Sid is good with dates. May 9th, 6 p.m. Uh, was it dark outside or was it? It was dark. Oh, well, it was May. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, it's getting kind of light. Yeah. So. Yeah. This is a dusk, perhaps. May 9th. Sid walks in. <laughs> no. So um, here. It was dark. Maybe not from a light standpoint, but it was there was definitely a cloud over my head. <laughs> a cloud over your head as you entered into into the theater, the space. <laughs> uh, what would you say? I mean, we're now in 2022, and we're still here at IFTP. Right. What's kept you coming back? What's kept you invested in this place? Because I. I know from my time that I've been here, a little over, I'd say close, uh, we're getting to a year and a half now I've been involved at IFTP. I see you as a, a prominent member of the theater, someone who's been involved a long time and seen how it's changed and grown over the years. You, you're you very well connected, uh, which is something I've always appreciated, and you're very welcoming. I think you're a good representative of the community because mm. I know you're a person in my first few classes that I felt was very kind and just like, hey, if you want to like get to know us more, we have opportunities for that. And it's something I've always really appreciated, especially yeah, early on where I was like, whoa, you know, just coming in new. So that was something for me. I've, I've always viewed you as that person who's a good ambassador for IFTP. Oh, well, thank you. I, I never looked at it that way, but mm. I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. Um, definitely the community building part of it. I really enjoy that. I think I do that naturally. Um, so getting together, you know, before uh, once a month for dinner before mm-hmm. class, mm-hmm. or going to a play, or going to see an improv troupe um, mm. performing, like at Groundlings. You know, I I really enjoy doing those things. But I think the thing that is biggest for me, other than the stretching things, which you know I I always found myself challenging challenged about is the kind of building of the community within Mm. IFTP and um, yeah I I just really enjoy the relationships that I've developed through the years and um, so I have like like these four people that are three people that I consider my ensemble Mm. so uh, recently I was thinking about quitting uh, IFTP and focusing my energy in other areas and and all three of them called me up and said let's get together for lunch and mm-hmm. you know that's the Hannah and Daryl and Annie Rose mm-hmm. right and, and we get ensemble really really tight and it's like I didn't expect that mm-hmm. you know the whole community part and the support part of IFTP that I think makes Matt and IFTP unique from other 
I don't have any other experience, but from other potential uh, improv companies. Mm -hmm. And that's something I would definitely agree with you on. And I think for me, like a a newer member seeing that is like something that makes me go, I want to be a part of that. And I want to like fit into this place and the, Mm -hmm. the legacy that people have in their friendships and relationships here, which is, Again, from a lot of the other places, that's rare. Mm. And uh, it's a lot of people, they come in the door, they get what they want, they leave. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's right. no long-term investment in that. And I think, again, that's something unique about IFTP in this space is that you can come here to work and become a better improviser. You can come here to meet people who are interested in improv. You can come here just to, uh, to have fun, too, to an improv. Right. Like, you can come here with a list of different objectives and everyone can find what they want. Right. I think, and again, and I think you've been a great example of that. There's skills you've learned here and you've been able to stretch yourself, which have applied to your career. You've made some long-term friendships here as well. Like you said, your ensemble. We've had a few of those people already on the show and they've had great episodes and we're, we're going to have all of them on the show eventually too. Oh, cool. <laughs> so I think that's just a testament to, to what we have going on here. All right, Sid. So I want to get into the nitty gritty of things. So when we're in an improv class, right, and I've been in some improv classes with you, is there, is there a type of, I want you to tell me one maybe exercise or type of game that you really enjoy and one that you find maybe you don't enjoy as much or is just challenging. Okay, so the pessimist side of me always sure, sure, sure. start with the ones I don't enjoy, right? <laughs> which are a long list, but I'll just focus on one. Anything that has to do with an accent, mm. you know, English accent, I just can't do. And I, I know that's my own mental block because if I really wanted to do it, I probably could. Do yeah, it. I think so. I just, I just haven't spent the time yeah. to really understand how I can overcome that roadblock for me. Mm. Now, just cursory things, just my anal personality, I bought tapes. I even wanted, I was thinking even paying for a coach to teach me. Mm. You know, those are those are some of the things that I've been thinking about, but I bought tapes, I've watched YouTube videos. Yeah, there's a lot of and, good stuff. Yeah, and I still haven't been able to do it. Mm. So there's something else that's a mental block for me, but anything with an accent, other than a Southern accent, you know, I could do Southern accents. Yeah. What do I like to do? You, you know, um, I'm not sure if it's any exercise, but one of the really cool things about improv and IFTP is just being able to come to a class, you know, a two and a half hour class, and just have an opportunity to laugh, you know, a, a gut-wrenching laugh, yeah. you know. And it's not anything that I'm doing because I don't consider myself funny. Wow. But it's, <laughs> but it, you know, it, it's watching the, the, the scene partners going at it and just coming up with the weirdest things yeah. that are just so funny. It's yeah. like where, especially in this divisive world, that we live in, mm-hmm. where can you get two and a half hours of just joy and support and just sitting back and watching something that just makes you laugh, mm. you know? And it's like you can't get that anywhere except IFTP. Yeah, I, I would agree. It's 
like you said, that two and a half hours is, is a different time. It's set apart from, like you said, a very divisive world that we're living in these days. And, uh, yeah, it's, you can't find that, you know, you go home, you turn on any show, you know, you're not going to get that. Not the same joy, especially when it's people, you know, and care about, or, you know, have been in class with for a long time. It's, there's nothing funnier. (laughs) (laughs) So I I very much agree with that because I, I think that's something that's special about improv too, is that you're only going to see that, that thing, that moment, that spark of joy once. And then the next time it's going to be something completely different. Yeah. And it's, it's special. It lives and dies all right there in that moment. Right. Right. Which is, eh, I think something beautiful about it. Yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. So do you think in the long term, I know you've talked a, a little bit about it, kind of some of the skills or the shift in mindset you've had while you've been a student at IFTP and that crossover in your work. You said, like, kind of shifting your mindset related to mistakes, right, mm-hmm. and how you approach those and how you view them. Have there been any other things you feel like have changed in your life um, because of class or just over time while being a student here? Any mindset or habits or practices that you have that you maybe didn't have before you started? Yeah, um Probably the biggest one um, around the whole mistakes and the whole anal kind of approach to things is just relaxing, Mm. you know, and just not uh, being so hard on myself and not allowing that voice, which, again, is really part of my DNA. So I don't try to um, change the voice. You know, I don't fight against the voice and saying, you know, you're wrong. You know, I accept that part of me. But the impact that it has on me is Mm. so much less than before. And then now I have this voice that is a counterbalance or even maybe stronger than that real anal voice. And um, so, like I said, I'm I'm just so much freer Mm. um, to do the things that I really want to do or the things that I are, I I think are the right things to do, uh, especially in a work environment. And I'm much more comfortable. I've always been good at apologizing, Hmm. you know, so if I make a mistake, I always apologize. Um, But I think that my apologies are much more heartfelt Hmm. because they don't carry any of that angst anymore. Hmm. You know, so so some of the other skills are listening. I always thought thought I was a good listener, but it's like improv teaches you to listen way beyond your usage of your ears, mm. right? It, it teach it. It's taught me how to listen with my eyes, and it's taught me how to listen by feeling, right? You know, and it's real simple because you're just trying to listen to your scene partner, so it's really not that tough. Yeah. But until you start practicing some of the improv skills, then you start to really understand how less you were listening before. Mm. So I'm a much better listener, and I'm probably on the scale of one to ten. You know, I'm probably still a three. You know. But and I still have a long way to go. So that's what I love about your podcast because mm-hmm. I can, uh, as I listen to it, I I see how other students are approaching the art form, mm-hmm. 
And like Liam was is a great yeah. You know, my favorite is Danny episode. Rose, of course, because it's part of my <laughs> ensemble. But, First episode, but, yeah, yeah. But Liam and even Sky, they give you so many different nuggets mm. of things mm-hmm. that you can actually learn. So I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I didn't even think of understanding more improv as an art form mm. and how far I have to go. So yeah, I. You made me think of a quote that, that Liam said that's really stuck with me. He said, don't make jokes make sense in mm, a scene. Right. And I know, like, historically in my improv career, if you will, if we want to call it that, making jokes has been something I, some, I like to do, but I know is not the most helpful thing to do. And even that even applies in my real life, too. Like, sometimes I'll make jokes, you know, if you're uncomfortable or trying to ease tension in a situation, which right. isn't always the most helpful thing. And I've... Uh, definitely noticed that about myself and I'm like, ah, okay, Liam, like I, I, I hear his voice in my head saying that because <laughs> I'm like, that's okay. That's applicable to my scene work. And then sometimes at, at home in my personal life and relationships right, too. Right. <laughs> so that's, I, I would agree. Yeah. There's something really interesting about hearing the different perspectives and approaches to improv and yeah, what, what we want from it and what we get out of it. And I think that's, yeah, part of why I love being here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Now now I'm just going to hear Liam's voice saying that the rest of the night. Sid, thanks. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> Don't make jokes. Make sense. Don't make jokes. Make sense. Um, but you, you're so very right in that. Um, there was a word you said earlier that I think kind of ties back to what, what some of what you're saying now, where you said you first approached improv almost in a way as therapy. Yeah. I think is what you said. Um, and I think that's something very interesting and something I've thought a lot about, um, just having been as a student of improv and just in, involved in it and kind of it's the role that it's played in my life. And it has had, it's been therapeutic in some ways, especially like coming here when I started, I hadn't been involved in an improv studio for a number of years or had, hadn't been involved in performing or classes for a little while. And that's something that had normally been a huge part of my life. And I kind of, put it to the side for a while. So coming back was just, oh my gosh, every week, like you said, that two and a half hours was, it was a high point of my week getting to come into this room with people I cared about laughing, just Mm -hmm. making up the dumbest stuff, messing up, doesn't matter. Um, So (laughs) yeah, you know, I'm laughing, thinking about it. Do you think that your time here at IFTP or just doing improv has it been therapeutic for you? Oh yeah, for sure. Hmm. So let me let me let's start with improv and the definition of improv. Sure. Okay. Because I think my definition of improv is, is a little different. But I'm kind of an odd duck anyway, so so I look at the world through a different lens. I think when people just in general that even are outside of IFTP and hear of improv, they think mm-hmm. of performance art. Mm-hmm. They think it's a close cousin to comedy. Yep. Um, and it's high stress, high pressure. Mm. So I don't look at improv at all like that. I look at improv as... <clears throat> as more of a ideology mm. or a philosophy, mm. right? And um, 
I think improv, if you put it in that context, um, or I think a lot of times when my real, also when I was telling my friends that I was taking improv class, they they would say, you're the last person on <laughs> earth that I would ever expect to take like, improv. Really? And, and yeah. I agreed with them 100%. Hmm. And because I did one, Ava was able to talk me into doing one show. And wow. after that show, I said, that's my last show, <laughs> you know, I'll ever do. First and last. First mm. and last. And um, so, um, yeah, I, lo I look at perf uh, improv not as the performance part, but more of a way to live. Hmm. And when you put it in that context, the people that wouldn't want to take improv or, you know, um, let's say Matt goes to a, a business and does uh, uh, improv, you know, um, things because they get invited to go into business. Yeah, corporate corporations, training. I mean, right? Uh, I think most of the people there are actually... Um, looking forward to being entertained, mm, mm -hmm. you know? And I think if you look at improv in that context as entertainment and the performance art, I think what you're really doing or what we're doing is we're really cutting off probably 80% of the population of mm. the world. Yeah. Because most people, there's more introverts than extroverts. I think there's, that's true. There's... Yeah more people that are afraid to public speak or the whole performance art or don't think that they're funny, you know? Mm. Um, so they would never even sign up. So I think that when you look at improv as a way to uh, balance out your life, creative and logical mm. and, um, and get all of the rewards that you get just by following the basic tenets of improv, you know, uh, listening, uh, committing to a scene, committing to your scene partner, you know, going for it. Uh, mistakes are good, you know, and the community and your scene partner and everybody else is there to support you. And if you feel bad after you did something really stupid, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna bring up an issue that um, a mistake that I did in, in one of the scenes, and mm. you just laughed and laughed. <laughs> <laughs> but but anyways, I think we fall so short of of being able to take the basic tenets of improv and making it more of an ideology, mm. and then once we make that mind shift or once i made that mind shift then it's like this could help so many people mm. you know almost like you know in this divisive world that we live in almost fixing some of that you know so i look at improv as this big thing mm. rather than just performance art if that makes sense yeah that i really like that said and i think like you said, just nailing it on the head, like most people probably don't want to be performers or, you know, up on stage or public speaking, which I think is so very true. I mean, I think of like my family, like I like to public speak. My dad does. My sister, no way. My mom, no way. You know, like, I, like right there, that's, we're already split 50% and that's just four people. 
Right. You know, and think of that on a grander scale. So like you said, when people hear improv, they're like, oh, I don't want anything to do with that. Right. I don't want to have to get up in front of people and make something up. That sounds terrifying. Yeah, right. Right. A lot of people have to take one public speaking class in college. That's already bad enough. Exactly. Right. So I think you, you raise a really interesting point where it's depending on how improv is framed. So many people are missing out on how it could benefit them because they only see it as one thing. Yeah. And I, I think I'm, I'm going to even flip your statement a little bit. It's, I think the majority of people that love improv love the performance art part of it, love mm. the comedic part of it. But it, if, that, if they could sh- shift that and understand by even doing those things that they love, if they could figure out how to communicate it in a way that, you know, there's so many other, you know, from a therapy standpoint, there's so many other people that you could reach Mm. that you wouldn't normally reach if you just frame it or look at it in the context of performance art, Mm. you know, then you can really start making impact and start changing the world to a certain extent. Mm. I know that sounds kind of weird. Um, but I think that it has, I don't know how to do it, yeah. you know, yeah. so, but I think, you know, it has that capability if it, if it was framed a little differently. Mm. Well, it doesn't sound weird to me, Sid, because we are on a podcast called the Improv for the Podcast. <laughs> so this is the kind of stuff I'm all about. I see. So for me, I'm, I'm all over it. And as I've said in past episodes, I, I've, I've grown to, to believe this idea that often improv lessons are life lessons, right? It's right. like, what do I learn in class that can affect, you know, what I do outside of here in my relationships, in my work, you know, just in everything else that I do. Because, you know, I'm not always in a class where I'm up on stage putting on a funny voice <laughs> in a character, you know? Right. Right, Most of right. my time is not spent doing that. Right. So what can I learn in class that can still impact and benefit me and benefit the people around me? Right. If an improv scene, my job is to make my partner look good and to set them up for success. How can I do that in my personal life, in my own romantic relationships in my friendships? Yeah. How can I help my partner look good? How can I set them up for success? Right. Isn't that the same thing? Yeah. Yeah. We should want the best for our partner in either of those circumstances. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Sid, you're blowing my mind right now. (laughs) And I, this, yeah, this is the kind of stuff I love to get into because I think you, you've just said it so well that improv can be bigger than it is. And it just takes the right shift in mindset. And I think you're someone who's had that and view it as a philosophy, not just a performance art. Don't limit it. And that makes it accessible for, for anyone who wants to come try it rather than a select few. Yeah. I, I, I had kicked around the idea hmm. with Matt once over a quick sandwich, hmm. you know, because um, the thing that I, I really like to do is I like to take a business concept hmm. and then, uh, then I, I like to develop it and figure out how it can be repeatable, hmm. you know. And then yeah. once I can figure out how... Uh, to make it repeatable, and then it's something that can grow, then that's when I know I can back off and let mm. it, and watch it grow, you know, just as if it was a team or a child or whatever, mm. right? And uh, so I pitched that idea to Matt once, and I think it was 
just too far out there. Hmm. But I think that IFTP, just because of people that are around all the instructors, you know, um, including yourself, have that ability to take IFTP and really spread it, hmm. you know, um, because all of the tenets of what would make a business successful are already there. Hmm. It's already built into the culture that Matt had, has built. Hmm. So making something that is really, really good uh, makes it easier to make it repeatable. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, okay. it makes sense. Yeah, kind of once you nail the formula, right. then you can spread it. Yeah. Right, right. That makes a ton of sense. Wow. I'm I'm taking business notes right now, so <laughs> don't mind my notebook, Sid. Wow. All right. Well, thank you for that, Sid. I, I appreciate you sharing your perspective and like that the therapeutic impact that you've seen from improv and kind of the philosophy you've developed based off of that. Because I think we haven't heard it shared in quite that way so far. So thank you for bringing that here tonight. Uh, so I want to ask Sid in your in your improv journey. Uh, like you said, you've had your first and last show. <laughs> you've done some <laughs> classes here and there. What do you think the future looks like for you in improv? Is there a goal you have in improv specifically or something you want to take away from improv into another area of your life? What's next for Sid and improv? Well, because of your podcast, mm -hmm. I want to do my own work, you know, um, in improv and develop a better understanding of the art so mm -hmm. I can, so I can get better, better at it. Um, I, uh, have recently been assigned, uh, as a board member for this pretty large, uh, nonprofit organization. And it's too soon to figure out if I can help. There's two areas within this really large nonprofit organization that I'd, I'd really like to start spending some of my time in. Mm. Um, and one is teenage suicide, hmm. and one is homelessness. Hmm. And I think, you know, um, if I was to jump out there and take my words and actually try to implement them, hmm. I think that the tenets of improv could help create solutions in both of those areas. Hmm. So um, I'm not sure if I'm going to do anything with that, I'm just brand new to the, to the organization. Sure. So, uh, and I know enough about change management that as soon as you join something, you just don't start throwing ideas sure, out. Sure, you sure, know? So, yeah. But it'd be really cool if I could take some of the things that I've learned from uh, improv as that, you know, ideology to actually come up with ways to help people hmm. in those challenges. So. Yeah, definitely. And I... I really love that because I think those two areas that you mentioned are, are huge and so vastly important. And I think, well, maybe this is a stretch, but that makes me think back to the roots of improv, which at the end of the day was working with kids and education, mm. which is something I've always appreciated about it, having worked in education myself. So if you're looking to learn more about that, <laughs> a book I recommend is Improv History. <laughs> or oh, no, really? Improv Nation. Sorry, Improv Nation. Oh, okay. It's, just like a, it's like an improv textbook, basically the history of the art form within America. And it talks about uh, this woman, Viola Spolin, who kind of developed improv in education in, gosh, I think uh, like the 30s and 40s, oh, okay. way back. And then her, her kid in the 50s and the 60s kind of developed it 
into more modern improv, what we have now. And she's got a book that's like, it's a hundred improv games for the classroom written by Viola Spolin. It's a, it's a great book. I got it at home. Okay. Yeah. Uh, now I'm just plugging books, but <laughs> I, I think it's a really interesting to kind of look back at its roots because it wasn't performance in the beginning. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it was about working with that. children and helping them wow. open up and connect with one another and helping kids feel comfortable in their own skin, uh-huh. which, you know, I think is really important too. Yeah. Especially as a kid, you're so impressionable and scared to be you. Right, right. Yeah. And I think with suicide, right, that's a big thing, right, mm-hmm. in, is that, you know, there is no connection. Yeah. And one of the things that we have in IFTP that I love is just the connections yeah. that we have. You know, I recently have this other ensemble of Dan who who was on Dan? the show yeah. and Gavin and Grace and you know it's like I'm with these this new ensemble group and it's like you know I'm I'm 64 going on 25. Because they're all they're all twenty five. Oh, right? I wish I was twenty five. They're, they're all under thirty, right? Yeah. And it's like I would never be around, you know, before, um, mm. and, and calling them my friends, and I yeah. think vice versa. I might be yeah. fooling myself. No, you aren't. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that that unique thing about IFTP and how it fosters the uh, connectedness uh, amongst everybody, you know, within IFTP Mm. is, you know, something really, really special that can be duplicated. Yeah. Yeah. And I think uh, to your point, that's something I've also appreciated since I started coming here is that in a lot of other places you don't get, I guess, diversity within age groups in classes. Mm. It's a lot of like, 20 somethings and that's it. And I think it's, it's a richer experience when you can have all types of people in a room uh, learning and working together versus Mm -hmm. just one specific group. It's always going to be better and more enriching. Right. So I think that's something I noticed immediately starting here and that I've always been like, man, this is, it's just better when it's that way. I agree. Yeah. All right. Sid, I got one last question for you. Okay. And then we're going to play some games. Then then, oh, then no. it's going to get a little silly. <laughs> but we get to sit down. So that's one thing I love. Uh, <laughs> all right, Sid. So do you have, uh, I want to say, we, if you were talking to someone who's maybe thinking about joining IFTP or is just getting started in their first couple of classes, do you have any words of wisdom or words of advice you might give to that person? I don't approach that the answer to that question that way. So Mm. the way I approach it, because um, each person is unique, Mm. right? So if if it's somebody that is like me, introverted and uh, scared to make mistakes, so I would tell that person, uh, I would would first uh, ask them, you know, what made you come to improv yeah you know and then once i heard that little bit of story and then i could understand their personality type then i would start to explain to them the parallels in my personality type that that they may be feeling and and hearing uh i mean feeling and um then i said you know i i was in that exact same spot Mm -hmm. you know it's like the it, it took me you know, 
several months before I really even felt comfortable uh, standing up and volunteering for a scene, mm. I would always be the last one, you know, and, and go through some of those experiences. If it's somebody that is just naturally gifted and they love to perform, you know, <clears throat> then I think that, like, a, a good example of that person is Gavin. Mm. You know, mm -hmm. Gavin is so talented yeah. in so many different areas, even though he's new to improv, mm -hmm. right? Uh, but he loves performing, mm -hmm. right? So with him, you know, I think he was looking for more of uh, building the community and, and mm. getting to know other people within the community. Yeah. So, you know, he'd be one of the first people that I would sit, say, hey, let's sit down and have breakfast and mm. uh, let's get to know each other. And, you know, and that's why he's part of my ensemble now. Mm. So, so I think it's unique to each person. Yeah. Yeah, and I think just in that answer, I hear the coach in you because you're identifying kind of that motivation, <laughs> right? No, but that's not a bad thing. Right, right. I think that that makes sense because, like you said, each person is different and not all advice is universal. Right. And it's, like you said, sitting down with that person, what's their need and what do they desire from joining this or signing up for this thing? Right. right? And then once you identify that, you know kind of which direction to point them in. And then, and then once that they understand that you understand a little bit of them then that's kind of like a foundation stone right and then you can use that foundation stone to build trust around so i mean that's the key to answering that question you really need to know uh, what they're searching for right? yeah. and what foundation stone that you can build and then start to grow from there so. yeah the nuance of the person right exactly mm. Okay. Okay. See, no, that's a good thing. I hear the coach in you. Yeah, I think <laughs> that's true. That's what a good coach does. I think too, whether it's motivating a player, or an improv student. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Sid. And I want to say one thing interesting that interesting or that I've learned about you is that I think I have a lot of respect for someone showing up to do something that stretches them mm. and continuing at that because. I know both personally speaking and just in general, that's not something we often want to do Right, to do something that stretches us. So the fact that you said, Hey, this is good for me. I'm going to stick with it because right. I know it can help me in the other areas I work in. That's huge. And that says a lot about a person said, no, I think that's everyone at home right now, everyone <laughs> listening, think about that. What's something in your life, you know, that maybe you don't always want to do, but that stretches you and you know, it makes you better. I, and and I, to tell you the truth, it, it's been a really uh, good journey, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and good journeys. Um, I mean, for me, the best journeys that I've been on are mm. the ones that are hard, mm. you know. So, yeah, yeah. yeah I've learned so much um, from this journey. So that's why I wouldn't give it up. Yeah. yeah. The best stories come from the hard journeys, not the easy ones. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. All right. Well, thank you, Sid. So am I done? Uh, <laughs> done with the interview. <laughs> uh, <laughs> got okay. me there, Sid. All right. <laughs> so uh, we got a we got a couple games picked out for us, Sid, that we're going to be playing tonight. But uh, we're going to have fun. Okay. So this first game we're playing <laughs> is called Late for Work, and in this game, Sid, uh, I'm going to be your boss. And you are coming in late for your shift, and you're going to have to explain why. 
So in this scenario, uh, you and I, we both work at a furniture store. I'm your manager and you're coming in late for your shift and you're going to have to explain to me why you were late. And the reason you are late needs to involve a post-it note. All right. Any questions for me before we jump in? Nope. All right. So we're just going to play and I'll black us out when I think we're ready. Jeffrey, you finally made it in. Oh my gosh, you're 35 minutes late to your shift. I'm, I'm out here working the floor alone here at Jerome. Mr. Mr. Smith, I'm sorry. You have every right to be upset with me. 30, you, you know, I, I don't even like the idea that I'm 35 minutes late. So, Yeah, but, you and me both. And, and I'm going to tell you... Uh, what happened, and this is God's on, honest truth, and it's gonna, you're gonna hear it like it's just completely BS, but it's not. Okay. You're, you're really setting yourself up here, Jeffrey. I, so I wrote, wrote myself a note, and I wanted to make sure that I put the post it note over the snooze alarm to make sure that when the alarm went off, I couldn't hit the snooze. And I put it over the wrong button, and I, and I, I just overslept. And I know that's not an excuse, and that's the God, God's honest truth. And you know, I, I hope you don't fire me, but you have every right to fire me. So, well, Jeffrey, I have something to tell you. I, uh, I sometimes hit the snooze button too, and it's actually something I've been struggling with. I know I was pretty angry at you before, but do you think you could you could help me write a post-it note for my alarm clock so I could put Ab- it on the snooze button? Absolutely, but yeah, I'll even write you a procedure of how you don't make the same mistake I made. I I would appreciate that. Maybe. Thank you, Mister Smith. Of course, you know you. You are one of my best salespersons on this floor here. You, you move a lot of couches, which I appreciate. You know, your, your numbers this month, oh my gosh, you've sold 34 couches this month. So it's because I, of improv. It's because of improv. Wow. I, you know, I, I don't have a lot of time for such things as improv. I'm, I'm busy working the floor here at Jerome's, but maybe you can teach me some things. Maybe the boss needs to learn from his employees. Thank you, Jeffrey. Absolutely. And once again, I'm really sorry I'm late. That's all right. Blackout. (laughs) All right. Very nice. Very nice. That, I really liked your explanation there. (laughs) Because I think, like, I I would buy that, you know? Like, so it's just like, I got to stop myself from pressing the snooze button. (laughs) And just puts it, like, that's, you didn't make a joke. You made sense right there. That like I totally oh, bought that. Liam. Yeah, yeah. I think Liam's Liam's looking down on us right now. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, nice, Sid. Improv wisdom. Yeah, so yeah. I had yeah. read that book already, and after mm. your podcast, oh, I read yeah. it again. So yeah, that's yeah. such a great book. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. That's a good Liam recommendation. <laughs> 
All right, so I'm going to move us on to our second game, but well done, Sid, Another well done. One. Oh, we're playing threes, Sid, <laughs> rule of threes. Uh, we always do three games here. Everything's about threes on this show. I see. We do, you know, we do three categories. Well, I ask you a lot more than three questions, but... <laughs> I, I that one. And then we do three games at the end. <laughs> I'll see if I can mess it up again. All right, no, you were fantastic. All right, so this next game we're playing is called Confession. And in this game... Uh, you and I are going to be given a relationship and the relationship that we have in the scene is trainer and athlete. So one of us is going to be the trainer. The other person is going to be the athlete. And, uh, one of us will need to confess something to the other. So we don't get a lot here. We get a relationship and that kind of informs our scene. Uh, so Sid that, uh, I'm going to say that you're the trainer and I'm going to be the athlete. All right. One of us is going to confess something. <gasps> we'll find out. I'll black us out when I think we're done. Coach, I I gotta take a break from doing squats, all right? I'm going crazy here. I'm so sore. Tim, I know that we've talked about this, and you are almost at the world record on pole vaulting. And the only thing that is holding you back is the strength of your quads. Mm. And we talked about, you know, doing 500 squats a day and you started off great. Yeah. You, know, you got to 250, no problem within that first week. And then you're about 400 now. You only have a hundred more to go. And it's like, if you noticed last week, you were about, Six, six inches, right? From the world record? Yeah, yeah, six inches. Don't give up. You're right, coach. You're I, right there. I, I want to be the best, and I, I, I know you're trying to push me to be the best. I, I got to confess something to you, coach. I've been, um, I've been fudging the numbers a little bit on my squats. You know, I, my apartment is on the sixth floor. It's a six floor walk up. And I, after, I realized after the first day that doing all those squats made it really hard to get up to my apartment. So I've only been doing about 50 squats a day. Oh my God. You've only been doing 50? Yes. And you added six inches and you're only six yeah. inches away? Yeah. Well, damn, that's fine. You're, you're yeah, not mad fuck, at me? No, fuck the 500. Yeah, fuck the 500. Yeah. I think you don't, <sighs> you, go, you, you go down, if, it's, if 50 is your number and you can continue to improve, you know, it's whatever works for you. And if you're getting the results, how can I, how can I fault you for that? Wow. You, you're right, coach. I, you know, I'm going to be honest, I was, I was really nervous to tell you just because, you know, I got to be able to get to my apartment, you know, that's, sure. that's where I live. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I just thought you know, if I do 500 squats, uh, I guess I'm going to have to move. <laughs> I, I didn't want to have to move. It's, it's the result. You're right. You're right. You know, 
and I'm trying to help you. And I just assumed because that's every single other athlete pole vaulter I've trained. Sure, sure. You know, it, it was the 500 was the, the golden number. Now, if you can yeah. do that with 50, sorry, um, that's fine. But it's the result. If you start backtracking, then we might have to adjust the number off of 50. Got it. Okay. Okay. I mean, yeah, Coach, you've, I know you've trained some of the greats. Uh, Timothy Watson, you know, he was an all-time pole vaulter. And uh, Jennifer Jenkins, she was fantastic. So I, I, I hope to live up to their legacy, you know, break that world record. There's one more thing I got to confess to you. I know. And... Uh, it's like a, it's a, it's a little more than six inches. I've uh, been fudging those numbers a little bit too. It's with my fifty squats a day. I've actually, I, you know, I told you I was six inches from the world record. Right. I'm actually six inches further away than where I initially was when we started. Oh man! So in truth, I'm probably about uh, eighteen inches from the world record. <laughs> I, I, I've gotten weaker. Well, what is it that you want? You know, I can put the program together and if you're not going to follow my instructions, you know, it's, it's the gold medal isn't going to be hanging around my neck. Right. I'm, I'm doing this for you. Yeah. Now I get some accolades here, yeah. but it's like, I'm putting the program together for you and you're the one that wants to stand up on that podium. Yeah. So you got to tell me what it is that you want to sacrifice in order to get there. Now, if you don't want to sacrifice, then don't waste my time and I'm not going to waste your time. So what is it that you want, Tim? Well, coach, I guess I got to move apartments. <laughs> That's a good start. Blackout. <laughs> you are such a kind <laughs> coach. I didn't even realize I was putting you in that. It just hit me now. They're like, oh, wait, you've been a good, like, I didn't, that wasn't even intentional. <laughs> oh, boy. But <laughs> you're just you're like. trying to make it easy for me. Huh? Yeah, like you said, you're like, well, I'm not going to be wearing the gold medal. It's you. So. <laughs> What do you got to do to get there? I was like, wow, you're really putting the onus on me. <laughs> wow. Well, well, that was unintentional, but oh man, that was perfect. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, I think my guy is, he's kind of a bum, but you know, I think if he just moves, he'll really get it together and be able to get, get turn those numbers around quick. Well, I'm sure he's, Tim's going to make it. Yeah. I, There's no doubt in my mind. Wow. Well, thank you, coach. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Sid, I got, I got one more game for you. Wonderful. And then, uh, and then we'll wrap it up. Uh, these have been fantastic so far, so I'm excited for this third one. Okay. So this last game is called History Bluffs. History Bluffs. And we're going we're gonna to talk a bit of history here, Sid. Okay. So in this game, uh, you are a historical expert. And I'm going to give you uh, a, an object and a historical event, and it's going to be your job to explain to me how those two things are tied together, how the object had an impact in this historical event. So today, Sid, uh, you are a historian who is an expert on the fall of Rome. And you are going to tell me how an umbrella was related to the fall of Rome. This is a very little known fact. Mm. No. Because you think of 
an umbrella and how can an umbrella you know have anything to do with the fall of a, of the Roman Empire yeah. which had if I remember correctly was 300 or 300 to 500 years the Roman Empire was around and how could something like an umbrella impacts the Roman Empire but yeah Towards the end of the Roman Empire, the um, the Senate had started to dissolve its mm. power mm. and started to. Um, <clears throat> I think they grew tired of just uh, conquering and uh, you know many wars and the many uh, countries that they had invaded and taken over. Mm. Um, so their their spirit was very different from the beginning of the Roman, Roman Empire. And then um, the um, Emperor um, Um, mm. you know, of course, Emperor Um, yeah, um, created the umbrella. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes, and he created the umbrella to, um, so so they just wouldn't have those harsh winters and the soldiers and the citizens, yes. you know. Those um, harsh Roman winters. Could protect, could protect themselves um, from the harsh elements. That was very noble of yeah, Emperor Yeah, it was a, a great invention, you mm-hmm. know, the mm-hmm. soldiers, the umbrellas that the soldiers would wear. Um, gigantic and yeah. they weighed so much. Yeah, but they had to be they strong. Would, they would cover the horses and the soldiers wow. at the same time. That's how big they were. I bet the horses appreciated that too. So, yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. But what happened is it started to weaken the spirit of the soldiers and the citizens, oh, wow. and they became weaker individuals just mm. because they never really faced any strife anymore from yeah. the harsh winters. Of course. So society overall, unbeknownst to Emperor Um, mm. um started to become weaker and weaker citizens and wow. soldiers. And then then the Huns just took them over. Oh my gosh. So in Emperor Um's efforts to make life better for all right. Roman citizens, he, right. he eventually, his invention led to the downfall of the empire. Right. And created weakened a, a the, weak people. Weakened the fabric of the citizenry. Oh my and gosh. The wow. Wow. That is, that is a tragedy. Thank you so much for sharing. Blackout. <laughs> That was stupid. Oh, it was great. It was great, Sid. That was, uh, I felt like I was reading the textbook. <laughs> but it, it's great to know the impact of some of inventions on history. I had no idea. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I can't wait to, you know, I'm going to go to school tomorrow and share that, you know, with everyone. Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, thank you so much, Sid, for playing those games with me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, before we close out uh, this episode of Improv for the Podcast, I want to give you the opportunity. Are there any final words you want to share with us before we close out tonight? Um, no, thank you for having me. Um, I know I think a little bit differently than, than most, and my experiences with uh, improv and IFTP are uh, through a different set of lens. So, um, 
So it's been fun. I hope you've enjoyed it. Yes, definitely. And then definitely if there's anything I can do to help, you know, with the podcast and, you know, help uh, widen your audience and definitely let me know. Of course, definitely. We'll be in touch, I think. Sounds good. All right. Well, thank you so much to Sid for coming on the show and sharing his perspective on improv. It's impact in his life, improv as therapy, potentially, and how we can view improv as a philosophy right. more than just a performance art. Uh, if you enjoyed the show, we'd love if you could leave us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. But until then, we'll see you next time. Improv for the podcast was created by Matt Moore and Michael Lee Evans. Edited and produced by Michael Lee Evans. And finally, presented by Improv for the People. Interested in more IFTP? You can visit us at improvforthepeople.com or on our socials, such as Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. Remember, new episodes are released weekly. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.